be in Second uh, Peter, uh, chapter three, verses fourteen uh, to eighteen. We'll be finishing the book this morning. Um, there is some uh, kind of sage advice for public speaking. I don't know if you guys speak in public, uh, but uh, I've kind of tried to learn about it a little bit. But anyways, here's the advice. Very simple. Tell them what you're going to tell them. Tell them, and then tell them what you told them. Did y'all understand that? Okay, good. I saw some confused look. Look, uh, the idea is you repeat, 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 repeat. Um, and that's important for oral communication uh, because oftentimes we don't we don't retain as much of what we hear as what we uh, read. Um, but this tell them what you told them part, this conclusion, uh, is probably the most important part of any uh, public communication because studies show that you remember much more often the very last thing you heard than anything else. Um, Anyways, at the end of communication is the best time to take everything you've said and drive it home to make to make some clear points in light of all the things that you've been talking about. And if you've been uh, in this class uh, in August, uh, you've heard me say several times that the Apostle Peter knows the human heart. He knows how prone to forget we are, how prone we are to ignore or to snooze when the scriptures are being read or taught. And so he repeats himself a lot. He knows that we need um, these reminders. Uh, there is something interesting to note uh, in Second Peter. Uh, we have not heard a command all the way from chapter 1, verse 10, all the way to chapter uh, 3, verse 8. He's actually just been describing a lot of reality. He hasn't commanded us to do anything. And now in this conclusion, in four verses, sorry, five verses, we have four commands. So Peter is uh, very clearly uh, taking all these things he's been talking about for so long and making some very clear application points. So if you love it when preachers give clear and simple application or if you've enjoyed Second Peter but really want some just tangible takeaways or maybe this is your first Sunday and you want to hear the whole book preached again, um, this conclusion is for you. So let's read it Ch- uh, again, Second Peter uh, chapter 3, verses 14. Uh, to 18. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them in these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. <laughs> which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, uh, just thank you for one more opportunity uh, to learn from this wonderful little book and to hear uh, just the heart of one of your apostles to us. Just thank you for the simplicity um, and the just importance of these truths. And I really just pray in this last, this last few minutes we're in this book that you'd, you would write them on our hearts and enable us to apply them. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, it took sleeping on a damp, smelly towel uh, for two nights as my pillow to teach me to pack carefully. Um, 
It was my first fall retreat as a middle school pastor. And after weeks of telling the middle schoolers what to pack, uh, I got in a rush and overwhelmed. and I just threw stuff in my suitcase and I arrive and look up lodge. And not only does my mattress kind of smell funky, now I have to sleep on my damp, smelly bath towel. So since, since then I learned, you, you, gotta, you, gotta, you gotta be careful when you're packing for the future unless you want a really uncomfortable trip. I've likewise uh, become very careful about reading instructions and directions when I build things. I'm not a natural builder. And uh, I've had many uh, house projects that I've literally had to start over, take 10 trips to Lowe's just because I refuse to read the stinking directions. Um, there are present and future consequences to not being careful. Uh, sometimes you're careless when you pack and you go without for a week. Sometimes you're careless with a nail and you break your thumb with your hammer. Sometimes you neglect one detail and five years later, things are falling apart. And uh, Peter uh, has laid out two big realities in this book, two really central things that he's trying to get home. Uh, and that, and they are this. First, that every person in this room is going to a day when they will appear before the Lord Jesus Christ. All the things, all the, uh, all the uh, stuff on the outside, right, the covers we put ourselves under, like those will be revealed. Who we really are, right? The two realities Peter's been teaching, all right? First, okay, every person in this room, all right, every human being uh, is heading to a day when Jesus returns and we stand before him, all right, and we receive from his hand, based on our response to him, either life or death forever. No more games, all right, nothing to hide behind, just you before the Lord. Second reality is that until that day, until that day, we are going to walk in a world that is constantly attempting to deceive us. We're going to live in a land uh, that abounds with false Christianity and false truth, fine-sounding arguments, things that sound nice to us, but if we believe them, will lead us to death. And so, uh, in other words, our entire lives, we are packing for an eternal trip. And we should take care. Our entire lives, we are building something. And if we don't take care, we might lose it all. So this whole book, with all of these colorful descriptions that you guys have seen, um, is heading to these four applications. It's really, really two that are flushed out. But here's, here's the point, okay? Because you're going there, take care. Because you are living here, take care. So let's see the first, okay? Verses 14 to 15. First, because you're heading there that day when reality will melt away and you'll be found before Jesus, take care. Uh, Just notice in this whole book, Peter has been talking about the return of Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 16, Peter says that we proclaim to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That uh. The center, in, in the center of the gospel is this truth that the same Jesus who came and lived and died will return in power and glory, okay? Um, chapter 3, verse 7, this day when Jesus returns will be a day of destruction and judgment for the ungodly. Uh, this return for people who are apart from Christ, who resist him to the end, will be only bad news. The judge who has been merciful and patient for 
all of human history will return and the patience will be over. Um, chapter 3, verse 10, this day uh, will be a day when reality as you know it melts away. There's all this talk in chapter 3 about the heavens melting. Uh, this idea that every, the thing that is most permanent seeming to you right now is stripped away. But in chapter 3, verse 13, we see that for people who know Jesus, for the beloved, all of this judgment and fire is ultimately a good thing. Verse 13 says, according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. There really is a place that you've been longing for your whole life, right? We, we've all had experiences where uh, we long for something and the longing is sweet. And then we actually get that something. And even though it might be good, it does not fulfill our desires. And uh, that is one of the keys to life is realizing that longing in you is a true longing. And it's a longing for a future home, a place where you belong, a new heavens and new earth. Every desire fulfilled. And believers are heading to a day of perfect peace, desires fulfilled, sinlessness and freedom. And so in light of that, we see this big word in verse 14, therefore. All right, in light of the fact that Jesus is returning, a day of judgment, bringing new heavens and new earth to his people. Therefore, all right, and then we see uh, two encouragements to take care. First, therefore, take care to be pure. That's what Peter says. And so you're waiting for these, for all these things to happen. Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. The, uh, the phrase be diligent here is that same word back way back in chapter 1 that was translated make every effort. The idea is to get hardcore about this, okay, to be really intentional about this. And to be intentional that our lives are without spot or blemish. Now, this does not mean perfection, all right? The idea of not having any spots or blemishes is that there's nothing tangible in your life. There's no pattern of sin um, that is tangible and unrepentant someone else could see. So let me, let me try to flush this out really quickly, what a, what a blemish is. Um, so I'll give you an example, all right? Everybody in this room, probably already today, has sinned with their tongues. All right, this is uh, one of those facts about the Bible that'll blow your mind. Did you guys know that um, when people complained in the Old Testament, many of them died? under God's judgment, that complaining, that waking up and saying, I'm so tired, okay, that is sinful, okay, uh, that criticizing other people. Do you guys know that gossiping, in this, according to scriptures, is just talking about other people's sins to anybody besides the person you're talking about? So if you're like, man, my roommate is just a grump, okay, you just sin with your tongue, all right? In fact, I would encourage you guys, uh, if you really want to, to know how much you need Jesus, all right, if you really want to know how desperately you need grace, I would encourage you to try with all of your might this week to not sin with your tongue, to not complain, to not grumble, to not criticize, to not gossip, and to always use your words to bless and praise God and encourage and build up others. Okay? Just try to obey those commandments. You will come here next week so shattered, so convinced that you have nothing to offer God, so desperately needing Jesus. Okay? We're all going to sin with our tongues. That's not saying we should, right? but it is a... As, as James says, it is a deadly and restless evil in us. Okay, but here's the difference, all right? A blemish or spot would be when someone spends 
half an hour or an hour to you with you, they'd say, this person is kind of a complainer, all right? Or man, I heard, I heard her talk about other people's junk more than anything else. See the difference? So one, uh, one, just regular human sinful, this is stuff we're not, we're gonna really struggle to avoid. The other is this pattern of life that continues that multiple people see, right? That even maybe an unbeliever is like, oh my gosh, can she just stop, compl- or he, can he just stop complaining at work? You know, like those kind of things, right? So there's a difference. Peter's not saying, in light of the return of Jesus, be ye perfect. What he's saying here is, if, is there anything in your life right now, is there a spot or blemish, maybe that other people notice, one of those post-it notes on your back, right? Is there, is there something you know you've been living in you haven't really dealt with? Peter says, in light of the fact that there's a day coming when you really are going to be before Jesus, in light of the fact that there's a day coming that there's hope before you, all right, be without spot or blemish. Take care of those issues. Make every effort. Right? Pray that God would enable you to walk in obedience. And Peter gives us, I think, I think an application of that. He says, uh, be without spot or blemish and at peace. That's the end of verse 14. Uh, this peace is certainly a relational peace. So if you're thinking, man, Leland, I don't feel like I have any spots. Where do I start? Maybe you start uh, in your relationships in this room or in this church. Uh, peace is simply that believers are living, uh, they're keeping short accounts with each other, they're not bitter towards each other, they can interact well, right? They, they love each other, they're not walking in unforgiveness. Maybe you start in your relationships. Whatever the spot is, see the grace of Jesus, see his goodness and kindness, see his return, see the hope laid up for you, and take care to be pure. But we also see, uh, because Jesus is returning, Verse 15, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Take care to pursue salvation. Uh, The idea of counting God's patience as salvation means that every day you wake up and the world has not ended yet. Okay, that means that Jesus is being patient. All right, and the point of Jesus's patience, this is very important, the point of Jesus's patience, the meaning of of if, if tomorrow comes, the meaning of tomorrow is this, right? Your salvation and the salvation of others. That's the only reason God waits, right? The only reason God waits to not end the world tomorrow, right? It's not so that I can have this life of experiences before heaven, right? It's, it's for the purpose of my soul and the souls of others around me. So just really quickly, in any room this size, there is almost certainly one or two, maybe more people who are, de- are deceived. You've been in the church for a long time, man. You know the Bible stories, right? Or maybe you're just kind of, you're just kind of thinking, I'm not really sure you're kind of new, right? Um, but there's not a vibrant resting on Jesus with your soul. You're trusting yourself. And if you continue in that, there will be a day when all the, the outward stuff, all the, the church attendance, all those things you've rested on will be stripped away, and it will just be you before God's throne. And Jesus loves you enough. He loves you enough that right now he's waiting to bring all of his purposes to pass so that you can genuinely know him. So today, see the blood of Jesus. See his life for you, his death for you. Rest on him. If you're a believer, maybe it's been a while since you've really... You've been kind of walking distant from the Lord. You've been living in your own righteousness, even as a Christian. 
Maybe you just returned this morning. Rest on him afresh. But not just your salvation. All right? I, I, think, I, I think I can genuinely say this. The reason Jesus is not returning right now is because your neighbor is not a Christian, and God wants him to be one. All right? the, re- the, reason, the reason Jesus hasn't returned all right, is because your coworkers are far from God, and God has willed that you go to them with the gospel, or that at least you go with them uh, with an invitation to come see Christian community. Right? Um, that is the whole, that, that's, the, that's one of the meanings of tomorrow. Count the patience of the Lord of salvation. Take care to pursue salvation. Your days have been ordained not to just do what you want, but to take part in God's purposes. So, like I said earlier, we are all spending our lives packing our bags for a trip. We need to take care. But uh, until we go there, we are living here. Uh, Peter's next encouragements are encouragements about what it looks like to live in a fallen world until the return of Jesus. Um, there's this great little book, kind of an out there book I just read by C.S. Lewis called The Pilgrim's Regress. Um, and in this book, it's an allegorical description of C.S. Lewis's conversion. And so it describes a man on a journey who meets all sorts of different people. And the allegory is that this is how, these are all the worldviews and thoughts I encountered on my road to God. And so this guy, the main character, first he meets Mr. Enlightenment, which represents, you know, all the Enlightenment ideas that we should just be good and things are rational, right? He meets all these people, though, okay? Here's the point. If I've lost you, just, just come back here, okay? He meets all these people, and before he's converted, they're all well-dressed. They look nice. They're living in comfortable houses. Things are great. The land looks really nice. Like, he's just kind of running around, but he's never quite satisfied, so he keeps looking. And uh, finally, he gets converted, and he finds his heart's desire he sees it from afar, and his guide with him says, actually, you have to turn around and cross the land you just traveled. Go back, and then you'll really, you'll really find it. Anyways, all that being said, it's a little confusing, as you guys may notice. But he goes back through the land that he lived in his whole life that was pleasant, that was full of all these nice people, and he finds it very different. In fact, there is one little path, a little five-foot path. It's the only safe place. To the left are cliffs and rocks and death. To the right is a swamp. And he passes by the house of this guy named Mr. Wisdom that he used to hang out with and love. And instead of a house with all these happy people, there are three guys neck deep in the swamp about to die. Here's the idea of that, if if you've missed it. We walk in a world. In fact, we live in Mount Pleasant. It's called Mount Pleasant, right? Like, things look nice. People seem like their lives are together. And the reality is, in the land in which we walk, most people are neck deep in a swamp about to die, right? You, you go to the left, you fall off a cliff. That's that's what life's like, okay? And Peter's saying, right here, again, you will walk in a world that will seek to destroy your Christianity. You will walk along people who will give you fine-sounding arguments, things that sound nice. If you believe them, they will destroy you. He says here, look, uh, notice uh, verse 15 through 17. This is probably the trickiest part of the passage, but he connects the patience of the Lord of salvation to our beloved brother Paul. That was the Paul the Apostle who wrote uh, half the New Testament. He says, Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks of them in these matters. All right, notice this next part, verse 16, halfway through. There are some things in Paul's letters that are hard to understand. Amen, right? 
right, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So what, what Peter's saying here at the end is, hey, listen, these false teachers that I've told you about, one of the things they were doing historically is they were taking the teachings of Paul and they were twisting them. So think about a verse like um, Romans 5.20, one of these great verses, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. That's a sweet verse. That means, man, if you know Jesus, even when it seems like your sins are increasing, man, his grace is increasing all the more. It's, It's beautiful. These false teachers were taking verses like that, and they were twisting them and saying, well, if when sin increased, grace increases, let's go sin, right? Who cares what you do? Right? And Peter's saying, man, these guys are twisting the scriptures. They're going to live in a land where people twist the scriptures. And in fact, don't be fooled. Me and Paul agree about this. It's not like I'm some go, you know, go live hardcore guy and Paul's like, oh no, just enjoy grace. No, no, both of us, we agree that the grace of God in Christ both saves and transforms. All that to say, you will live in a world here where people love to twist the scriptures and twist ideas from the scriptures. So Peter says to take care, to guard yourself, and to grow. Look at verse 17. You therefore, in light of this, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. This word take care uh, translates a word that really gives a picture of a soldier on guard duty. I think of a Roman soldier with his armor, the spear. Roman soldiers were, uh, the, the penalty for falling asleep on guard duty was execution in the Roman Empire. So this idea of guarding, all right, the guy staying awake, right? Um, and Peter says, knowing this world you'll walk in, take care to guard. And notice the motivation he gives here uh, in verse 17. He's not saying if you don't guard your life, you're going to be destroyed. He says if you don't guard your life, you're going to Lose your own stability. The idea is you might be in a very healthy place now. All right, but there's the possibility you go to the right or left, and even though Jesus still loves you and he's going to help you and eventually work it out, you, for a season, are going to really mess your life up. And uh, some people in here have experienced that. As a pastor, I know, I mean, I mean, I know lots of people who love the Lord Jesus, um, but who went through a season of disobedience. And... One of the tricky things is when we think we think when we sin, once I'm done and repent, it will be over. Oftentimes, that's not the case. Oftentimes, even though God loves us in Christ, the consequences of our sins in this life continue for a season or for the rest of our lives. And if that's you, uh, I just want to say the beautiful thing is that God is kind and that he has wounded you so he can heal you and that your story is going to be beautiful in the end if you know Jesus. Just, just hope in that. However, if I surveyed the class of Christians who were Christians when they walked through a season of disobedience, and I said, hey, if you could do it again, would you do it differently? 100% would say, yes, I would do it differently. It wasn't worth it. And what Peter is saying here is, hey, listen, it's not worth it, right? You're, you're, you're going you're like, to be okay in the end, but it's not worth losing your stability. It's not worth the consequences. Um, and here it gives us a path uh, to guard ourselves away from these consequences. He says, verse 18, but you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, I think he's saying here's the best way to guard is to grow. It's not like you just need to, you know, circle the wagons and stay vigilant, 
vigilant, not do anything, right? No, no. Actually, the best way to guard your life is to go forward with the Lord. As we said earlier, to move to the right, to step into Christ's likeness, to not be content with where you are, right, guys? In, In Western culture, with comforts and comfy beds and coffee and Netflix, it's very easy to say, I'm okay, right? To kick your feet up. And uh, Peter is saying here, uh, the best way to guard your life is to grow. The most dangerous place to be is in a place where you are saying, I'm okay with where my heart is at. You know, King David, just think about that. When did King David ruin his life? It was not when Saul was chasing him, when he was, his life was threatened. He was living in a cave, sleeping on the, on the rocks, when he was tempted to kill Saul, right? Nope. He was not... He did not ruin his life when he faced down a giant that was very scary. He ruined his life in 2 Samuel 11 when it was the time for kings to go out to war, but David just took some PTO, right? And he just, he just hung out. And uh, within a month or so, he had committed adultery, murder, lied to cover it up, and sentenced his family to 30 years of chaos. And again, that's a, that's a sharp warning, but the Lord warns us oftentimes for our good, Right? He's like a dad who's saying, don't go play in the street. It's not worth it. Again, if you're in a place where you have lost your stability, there's hope, right? But if you're in a stable place, stay there. Okay, again, um, you might have asked the question in Second Peter and now, if I'm not currently under the influence of false teaching, right? If I'm not moving to the right or the left, right? In bad directions, okay? Um, what do I do? This passage says, grow. God is, C.S. Lewis said this, uh, God is easily pleased, okay, but he's never satisfied. That in fact, that first tiny little baby step of obedience you took, that first time you were like, I don't want to read my Bible, but I will, okay, God is pleased with that, right? But he, he will not be satisfied until the very life of Jesus Christ is present in you. And the idea of this passage is the best way to preserve your life is to continue that. You are not done until you look just like Jesus. Keep, keep heading there. And maybe we should go back to that first little passage we studied, all the way to chapter 1, verses 5, 6. All right. Um, Peter lists these qualities. All right. We, we talked about this. I'm not sure if you were here, but we talked about this. Supplementing your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control, steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. This is the idea of these, these character traits of maturity in the Christian life. Um, maybe the best way to guard your life from losing its stability is to pick one, and by God's power, the Spirit in you, looking to Jesus to work it out in your life. I've said that before. Maybe you didn't quite hear it. Peter's given you a second chance here. All right, so we're headed there to meet Jesus. We are living here in a dangerous place. We should take care. And I could, I could stop and pray, uh, and my guess is we'd probably be diligent for a couple days. All right, we'd work hard. Um, but we would miss, all right, the main power and the motivator of the Christian life, and that is the grace of God in Jesus, and this passage is full of it. Uh, just notice... Peter has only said the word beloved one time in this whole letter, and all of a sudden in the last, the last verses with all these commands, we hear, we hear it three times. Verse 14, therefore, beloved. Verse 15, our beloved brother Paul. Verse 17, therefore, beloved. The truth of the gospel 
is that if you know Jesus, right, if you have rested your life on the blood of Jesus, exactly where you are, God loves you. Don't you know that your sins really are covered? Even when you feel them, right? Even when you feel guilty, right? Your sins are covered. He really does love you. Like you're a son or daughter in Christ. You have a status before the Father, right? He has sealed you with the Spirit. Your inheritance is imperishable, unfading, right? He really does love you. And his love covers you, even in the stumblings and the strugglings. Doesn't that make you want to love him in return? Right? That's First John, right? We love him because he first loves us. And the wonderful thing in the Christian life is your love for God is not something you work up, right? You receive and trust in and look to the love of the Father in the Son. You rest on that, and then obedience flows from your life. You're loved by God. And God uh, has given you everything you need for this taking care of. We will end in the beginning, uh, chapter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Again, a great encouragement here. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Just notice, God doesn't just love you where you are. Wherever you are, God today, in the next 24 hours, God has provided grace for you. He's provided power for you to obey him. And, and, and the Christian life begins when you begin not to trust yourself, but you trust in today the grace of Jesus is going to enable me to obey him. I'm going to rest in the cross of Jesus providing what I need today. In conclusion, if you're not familiar with George Whitfield, um, he is probably the most used of God preacher in the last thousand years. Um, my guess is if, if you came from a Christian family or if you've been converted in America, you can probably trace your salvation all the way back to George Whitfield's preaching. I'm not kidding. Uh, literally thousands of people in colonial America, which was in the 1700s, if you don't know. Um, sorry, I got to say that. You never know. Uh, um, were converted through Whitfield's preaching. Anyways, uh, he was a traveling evangelist and he would preach about three times a day, six days a week. So I teach twice a week, typically, and it wears me out. Whitfield taught 18 to 20 times a week. Uh, and sometimes he would preach the same sermon at different locations, which was fine because they didn't have podcasts, right? There were no videos. Like, he could, he could get away with it. I, th I think do that honestly. Anyways, one day, uh, there's this kind of funny story about Whitfield. Uh, there's a reporter who's following him, and he has this kind of, like, gotcha moment with Whitfield. He's like, hey, man, I've heard that sermon before. Right. You just preach the same one you preach, you know, down in Virginia. And um, Whitfield looks at him and says something along the lines of this. Sir, are you living out what you have now heard me preach not once but twice? Have you applied it? And the guy pauses, of course, and he's like, no. And Whitfield goes, well, I will keep preaching it then. And uh, if you have been a present and careful listener in Second Peter, you've probably heard him and me say lots of different things. But I think the question this morning, uh, as we close, is have we done anything about it? Let's pray. Lord, uh, we just ask you would, you would do what only you can do, and that is to 
write the scriptures on our hearts and enable us to obey them and to do something about them, to live in light of the truth. We just plead that the return of Jesus would just motivate us and bring some clarity to our lives. We ask that in his name. Amen.